Hey, I'm Dave, and thanks so much for checking out today's message. We're so glad that you are here, and we would love to get connected to you and your family. So one easy way to do that is that you can text the word River Connect to 97000. You can also visit our website at theriverchurch.cc to learn more about us and some of our upcoming events. Lastly, if you'd like to give today to the River Church, you can text the amount that you want to give to 84321, or you can head to our website, click on the Give tab right at the top of the page. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy today's message. We are walking through our vision as a church. Uh, Pastor Justin began last week walking through why we do what we do as the church, right? Uh, he walked through Reach, and this morning we're going to walk through Gathering. And uh, I love hearing the story there of that man uh, who, who's like, man, it's important to do what he does as a gathering host, right? We are all members of the body. We all play a role. We all have a part as believers, and every single part is important, right? And so I love to hear those stories where God has moved in people's life, and you can probably relate in some ways if you are, are volunteering or serving in the, in the body, serving one another, those awesome stories that you personally have as well, where you have made an impact or maybe connected with somebody on a, on a deeper level than just the surface. And so it's so cool to see that uh, happening all across all nine of our locations where God uses us. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them, if you will, to Philippians chapter 3. I'm going to continue the series. Uh, this morning we're going to be talking about gathering and, and why it's important, why we as believers need to gather together uh, and, and be together as believers. And so I'm going to walk through that using the epistle of Paul and Philippians, uh, and, and we'll get right into it with that. Uh, if you've, I mean, Pastor Justin did a great job. I listened to his message last week explaining some of the context of Philippians, where Paul's in prison. So you heard that. And so here Paul is writing a thank you letter to this church that he has had a long-time relationship with, right? Uh, Philippians is not, or the book of uh, the book of Philippians, Paul isn't just writing to a new church. This is a church that, that Paul started, uh, and we'll go back to see some of the things that he did when he first met the people in Acts 16. So if you have your, your if you're opening, open the Philippians as well as Acts 16. We're going to kind of flip back and forth this morning between those two texts uh, as we look at uh, gathering as a fundamental aspect for us as believers. Uh, if you uh, have it, I'm going to go ahead and read it. Philippians chapter 3, this is kind of what I call the thesis, if you will, of the book. This is where I think Paul, uh, after he has explained in our terms, reach, gather, grow, uh, we get this from the Great Commission, Matthew 28, uh, to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and to teach them all that I have commanded you, right? Teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. This is where we get reach, gather, grow. And we see Paul teaching that through the book of Philippians, but really in the book of Philippians, in chapter 3, there is a thesis that I think Paul is drawing the people's attention to. So we'll begin reading in verse 12 of chapter 3. Paul says these words, Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect. Now, right there, we can stop right there. And I hope most of you can relate to that part of Paul's words. Man, not that I've already gotten there, or not that I'm already perfect. But what, what does he say as he continues? But I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. There's reach, the gospel message, right? It's, it's not so much of the fact that I know Jesus, but the fact that Jesus knows me. It's a very personal relationship. 
And so here, as he continues in verse 13, he says, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, and I strain forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, that those of us who are mature think this way, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you, only let us be let us hold true to what we have attained. I love how Paul puts in here, and he really kind of addresses, and we put it in question form, what is the goal, right? What are we doing as a church? What is the prize? What is our calling, right? These questions kind of pop up as I read that text, and I'm like, okay, what's our goal? And we as a church recognize that Paul is pointing us to the Great Commission, to, to, to gather together as the saints, to reach the lost, to gather together as the saints, to grow in his word. And so as we look at that confirmation laid out in Scripture through the Great Commission, we're going to look at, if you'll go back to chapter 3 of Philippians, this is really what I would call Paul's gathering chapter, right? Uh, where he lays out in this thank you letter the importance of gathering. We're going to look at three points that Paul addresses in this chapter. I'll go ahead and give you those points. The first is the mind of Christ. The second is the heart of worship. And the third is the unity or the joy of unity in the believer, in the body. Paul lays these three points out in chapter 2, and so we're going to walk through that. So let's begin with the word of prayer. Again, asking the Lord to be with us this morning, right? And asking the Holy Spirit to work in our hearts to recognize what we need to hear from his word. So let's go to the Lord and pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I'm just so glad to be a part of this, this body of believers. Lord, uh, I, I don't know a lot of them personally, but Lord, we have one thing in common. We love you. And we desire that you be present in our life. And we desire that you be present with us this morning through your spirit. So Lord, I pray that you would use me in a way that uh, glorifies you, that lifts you up, and encourages this body of believers. I ask this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. So as we look at this, and we're studying gathering, right, uh, in the scripture where we get the word gathering from in Matthew 28, it is baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And you're like, well, what does baptizing have anything to do with gathering? Well, this is really where we do a lot of baptizing, right? We baptize them when there are a body of believers coming together, and where, when they come together and they are worshiping and praising the Lord. And as I was looking at this passage in Gathering in chapter 2, we're going to cover a couple of passages, I want you to turn to Acts 16. See, Paul had a deep, deep relationship with this church in Philippi. And in Acts 16, you really start to see Paul exampling one of the first points, that is to have the mind of Christ as a body of believers as we gather together. And I want to show you what I mean. If you turn to Acts chapter 16... I'm going to read in verses 16 through 12. You see Paul's initial guidance from the Spirit to know where to go. So let me read this with you. It says this, And they went through the region, and I'm, going to, I'm just going to be honest with you, I botched the pronunciation of these names of these towns. But if you follow along with Scripture, you'll see, I think it's Phygia and Galatia, I know that one, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. So here's Paul looking for his direction in life, his purpose in life. He knows he's called to go to the Gentile nations, and here he's like, man, I got a place I want to go. And as he's going, the Holy Spirit stops him. 
and, and changes his path. And then so as Paul continues, like, okay, well, if that's not where I'm supposed to go, verse 7, and when they had come to Messiah, I think is how you pronounce it, Messiah, they attempted to go into another city, Bith- Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus, again, did not allow them. So Paul's confused. He's like, wait a minute, man. God, I, I thought you were, you were directing me to go do this. I thought you, you wanted me to go spread the gospel. Why do you keep shutting the door on me? I can imagine Paul saying those things. Maybe he didn't. Maybe he was more spiritual. I would say those things. Paul probably was like, all right, cool. I'm cool with it, Lord, whatever you say. Right? Like that's, that's probably more Paul's word. Mine would be questioning God every step of the way. Why are you doing this? Why aren't you letting me go there? But as he continues, you see this. So as passing by Mysia, again, they're coming back to this region, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And When Paul had seen the vision immediately, he sought to go into Macedonia. And the conclusion that they reached, that God had called us, them as a group, to preach the gospel to them. There we see reach again. Paul submitting to the very commission that God made in Matthew 28. He's like, listen, I want to go preach the gospel. I don't know where it is. I don't know to whom it is, but I want to go. And I'm going to follow the leading, the mind of Christ in my direction. I'm going to submit to his word and his guidance in my life. And here Paul is very clear on the calling to go into Macedonia. In the very next verse, you see this. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothria. I can't even pronounce it. Samothrias, I guess is how you would say it. And the following day by uh, day to uh, Nepalus, and from there to Philippi. This is Paul's very first interaction with the church is when he's on his missionary journey. And you see in Paul's example, at the very beginning, him submitting again and being obedient to where God called him to go. And it led him to a great relationship with the church, a body of believers in the city of Philippi. And so as they were there, it describes a little bit about Philippi. This is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. And they remained there in this city for some days. Now jump back with me to Philippians chapter 2. So this is the introduction. You see in Paul's introduction to the city of Philippi, his own actions, his submitting and responding to the things that God is telling him to go. Don't go here, go here, right? Like that's something we as believers, as we gather together, we got to pay attention to. And listen to how he uses this many years later as he's writing this thank you letter to the church in Philippians in chapter 2. You're going to see what he's trying to reaffirm in this body of believers. Look at chapter 2, verse 1, beginning there. So if there is any, and if you like to highlight in your Bible, I would encourage you to highlight these words. If there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, highlight encouragement, highlight comfort, any participation in the Spirit, highlight the word participation. Any affection and sympathy, highlight those two words. Complete my joy by being of the same mind. Having the same love, being in full accord, that is being in unity, and of, again, here's this phrase, of one mind. 
Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility. Count others more significant than yourself. Now listen, that's easier read than to actually do. I'm just going to put that caveat in there. It's harder to do that than to, it is, it's way easier for me to read it than to actually live it out. He continues, he says, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves. Again, he's talking about the mind that is, should be part of us as we gather together as believers, as we come together. Have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus. What is this mind that he's talking about? Good news is, Paul tells us. He gives us a very clear example of this mind that we as believers are to have when we gather together. In verse 6, he says this. This is speaking of Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being made in the likeness of man and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is the mind that Paul is telling and affirming to this church. You go back and you look at when Paul actually came to the city of Philippi, he was obedient. He was willing to listen to where God was directing his life. Here, many years later, while he's in a Roman prison, he's writing and reminding his close friends, hey, this is what we have to have. And so the question, I like to process information through questions. Not everybody does this, but I, I ask a lot of questions as I study scripture and examine. So I love questions. And so this morning, I want to ask you a question. Body of believers, those who claim Christ as their Lord, who are disciples of Christ. I'm going to ask these questions. I want you to think about, man, is this how we gather together? Do we gather together as a group of believers with the mind of Christ? Do we gather together in our gatherings focused on and contemplating the mind of Christ as Paul described it here in Philippians chapter 2? Do we encourage each other in Christ? I can tell you I'm, I'm new here, right? Like this is my first time in the building, but man, I was super encouraged when I walked in the door, when there were people here greeting me and saying, hey man, nice to meet you. This is great. This is what we're called to do, right? We, do we encourage each other in Christ? Do we comfort others through our actions in love? When people walk in the door and they're guests, they're new like me, do they feel the love of Christ in the body that's here? both to each other, one another, and to strangers like myself that might walk in the door? Do they recognize and feel the love in action when they walk through the doors? I would say yes. Do we participate in the joy? The joy. Man, I was loving Nathan's song choices. It always happens this way. When, when I come and preach, and man, the, the song choices, the Spirit does this. The, the choices of the song so are in line with the text of the message. Do we participate in the joy of the Spirit? Are we engaged with the Holy Spirit when we gather together? Are we asking the Lord, hey Lord, I want to know what you have for me today. I want to hear your word. Are we participating? Spirit, what is it in my life that I need to work on? 
Are we participating in the Spirit, the joy of the Spirit? Are we showing affection towards those who may be lonely? Are we, are we recognizing somebody that maybe that goes through hurt? The other word there is, uh, I'm going to stutter with this because I have a list, but see, I can't even say it. Thympathy. Oh, there it goes. That's my lisp. It's all right. You know what I'm saying, right? And so do we, do we recognize, do we have this affection? Do we have this sympathy towards somebody, right? That maybe when they walk in or they might be going through hurt or pain or struggle, do we, do we pay attention to it or we go, oh, they're having a bad day, I'm, I'm going to go over here, <laughs> right? I mean, it's easier to walk away instead of trying to say, hey, man, what's going on? Maybe all you have to do is walk next to someone and say, hey, listen, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what hurt you're feeling. I just want you to know I'm here for you. If you ever want to talk, I'm here for you. You don't have to say anything else. You just say, I'm present. This is what we see Paul affirming and teaching the church to have this mind of Christ, this aspect of humility. I love this aspect that Paul talks about. Are we people who, like Christ, humble ourselves and choose to make others a priority over our own ambitions? That's a, that's a hard one, man. That's, that's, that like convicts to the core. Man, am I willing to put others before myself? This is the mind of Christ. And as we gather together, Paul tells us, and he's telling this church, and we can look at this church as an example for ourselves. Do I have that mind when I come to gatherings? Do I have that mind of Christ? Am I willing to consider what Christ did at the cross? Is that in my mind as I gather together with other believers? As we continue, jump back with me to Acts 16. This is really cool. As you see, Paul, when he gets into Philippi, one of the first things he does is he looks for fellow believers. You see this in Acts 16, verse 13. As they're there, it was the Sabbath day. He went outside the gate to the riverside where he supposed there was a place of prayer. That's a very distinctive word, place of prayer. And he sat down and spoke to the woman who had come together. Here Paul is, he's in the city of Philippi, and one of the things he starts to look for is, hey, where are people worshiping? Where are people gathering together and praying to God? I want to find them. And here they happen to be gathering in a place that's by a river. I love that. There was no building, <laughs> there was no structure. That wasn't what was important. It was like, hey, where are the people? I want to pray with them. I want to worship with them. Here, again, you see this in Acts 16, 16. So after he met, and if you're familiar with the story, he met Lydia there by the riverside. They became close friends. She became a believer. But they still continued to go to this place of prayer, verse 16. And as they are uh, going to the place of prayer, where, where we met by a, uh, they were met by a slave girl who had a, a, an evil spirit, a, de a demon spirit in her who was using it to make profit for somebody. And of course, if you're familiar with the story, Paul casts the woman out. But look at where Paul's heart is. He's like, hey, listen, I want to go to a place of prayer. I want to gather with fellow believers. I want to gather with people that worship God like I worship, a place of prayer. This is, it actually goes back to Isaiah chapter uh, 56, you see this really mentioned in the Old Testament. 
Isaiah 56, 7, this is the Lord speaking. These I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. And I want you to see this last line. If you like to highlight in your scriptures, this is a great line to highlight. For my house shall be called a house of prayer. These last lines are very important. For all people. For all people. Listen, my house is a house of prayer for all people. Not just the people I like. Not just the people that vote or, or, or like the same sports team I like. But for all people. This is what God is saying back in, in, uh, in Isaiah. But then you see this action Jesus takes in Matthew, I think it's 21, when he cleans the temple out, right? He flips some tables over. He's angry because his place of worship, this place of house, was turning into a place of commerce. Jesus is ticked off. You don't see that very often in the Scripture. What is the words that Jesus says in Matthew 28? He says at the very end there in verse 13, he said, As it is written, my house shall be called the house of prayer. And he's condemning the Pharisees and the religious leaders of that time. He says, but you have made it a den of robbers. And so my second point is, as we walk through this, first and foremost, Paul is directing the church in Philippi to say, hey, let's have this mind of Christ. The second question, the second aspect of gathering when we come together that we have to consider in ourselves is, hey, do I come with a heart of worship? Do I come to gather with believers with a heart of worship? Like, I, I want to worship Jesus. He's important. The house of prayer. Do I come praying before I even come and set foot in this building? Do I pray, God, I want you to do something here. God, I want you to do something in me. Change my life. Change who I am. Work in my heart. Change me. Do we gather with a heart of worship? I want to show you how Paul addresses this. If you go back to Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 9, Paul addresses this heart of worship again to the church in Philippi. He says, therefore, God has highly exalted him. And bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, I want you to catch this, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. In heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, it's easy to miss this. But what Paul is saying is this. Go back to what we saw in Acts 13 or 16. When Paul is seeking a place of prayer. I'm old, so I'm going to try to do this. Every knee shall bow. Every knee shall come down and worship God. Every knee comes and says, God, you are worthy of my praise. You are worthy of my worship, Lord. I need you in every aspect of my life. Every knee is going to do this. They're going to exalt the name of Jesus above every other name. The question is, I'll try to get up. <laughs> the question is, when we gather together as believers, when we gather together, do we come with that heart of worship? Do we elevate Christ and his name above every other name? Higher, his name is higher than the name, the river. Just want you to know that. 
His name is bigger than the name John Carter. I'm nothing in comparison to his name. When we gather together, when we get together as believers, is Jesus the name that we glorify? Is Jesus the one that's in our heart that we go, I want everybody to see Jesus more than myself? This goes ties into what we read earlier. Humbling yourselves. Paul tells us the importance of having this heart of worship. So the question, are you approaching gatherings with this heart? Are you praying that God will do mighty things in this city? Are you praying that God would do mighty things in this body of believers, in your families, in your communities, the place that you work? Are you praying like, God, I want you to use me. I can't do anything of my own power. I need you, God. Can you use me in some way? Are you praying that, that heart of worship? God, I want you to do something mighty here in this, this body of believers, this community. Is your focus on magnifying the name of Jesus above anything else? Is your name, is the name of Jesus the most important thing when you gather together? Is your heart set? And I love this as you continue in this passage in Philippians. He says this, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. But look at what he says in verse 13. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now, if you've ever been a part of church for any amount of time, and I'm not trying to razz on any churches, but oftentimes his good pleasure gets changed to my good pleasure. Doesn't it? Oh, man, they don't have the right kind, of, right kind of sound. I don't like the way that sound is. It's not to my pleasing. Or maybe it's the speaker. Oh, man, that speaker doesn't speak the way I like. He's a little eccentric and loud. I get that often. <laughs> I have a hard time sitting still. It's okay. But maybe there's something in there and say, that doesn't, that's not to my liking. It doesn't please me. Right? This is often the thing. I don't like the color of that. Or I don't like, the, man, if you've experienced that in church gatherings, you know what I'm talking about. What happened is, is they took their mind off of having a mind of Christ. What happened is, is they took their heart away from making God the main thing and recognizing that they gathered together, not for their own pleasing, but for his pleasing. And so here's the question. Is your heart set on allowing God, first and foremost, to work in you? When you gather together on Sundays or, or in the middle of the weeks to growth communities, those are gatherings too where two or three are gathered, right? When you gather together with fellow believers, do you have it set in your heart, man, I want God to do something in my life. I want God to work in me. You have that heart of worship. And do you also ask this question, are you willing to be used and to work for his good pleasure? Listen, as you walked in here, you have these gathering notes that talk about all the ways that you can serve one another through gatherings. Man, pray about it. Ask God, Lord, where do you want me to work? Where do you want to use me? And you might find yourself reading something in there and the Lord pricks your heart and says, hey, this is something I want you to get involved with. It could be kids' ministry. 
It might be greeting at the door. I'm not a good singer, so I know the Lord did not call me to sing. We got Nathan for that. That's great. God, God may have blessed you with the voice, and you might be saying, man, I don't know. It's scary. It's not something I'm comfortable with. I don't know if that's something that's in my nature. Man, if God's calling you, you don't want to deny it. You want to be used for God's good pleasure, for His purpose, to serve and to work for Him. As we look through, again, if you're familiar, turn back to Acts 16, as Paul casts this demon out of this woman who is doing divination, which is basically trying to tell the future through this, the powers of evil. This man who is in charge of this little girl loses money. He's like, oh man, all my profit is gone. What are these guys doing to my business? And he gets really ticked off. And he grabs Paul and Silas and takes them to the, the city's magistrate, the people that are in charge. He says, listen, these guys, man, uh, they're, they're making us, they're telling us to do things that goes against our law. You see this in Acts chapter uh, 16 there when he says in uh, verse 20, and when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They're bothering us. They advocate custom that are, that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. Pastor Justin talked about this. As a Roman citizen, you had to claim Caesar as your Lord. So here, Paul is coming in and saying, hey, there's a better Lord. There's a greater Lord, and his name is Jesus. And so here they're upset because they've taken their prophet away, and they're claiming a greater, better Lord, and his name is Jesus. And they're like, this ain't right. We need to do something. And so he turns them over to the magistrate, and the magistrate gets angry, and they choose to beat Paul and Silas, throw them in prison. In fact, if you go a few verses down, I think it's in verse, verse 24, the jailer who gets this edict from the magistrate, verse 24, having received this order, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. The inner prison is like supermax in Roman era. Several ways to, to define it. I would define it as supermax. Not only are they in supermax, but they're shackled. They're chained. They ain't moving. They're bound where they're at. And sometimes we, we as Christians, and this is a big, big part of Paul's message in Philippians, we don't like to do things that are uncomfortable. But I want you to see something that's really profound here in this, this passage in Acts. This is Paul as he's just starting this church. And earlier in Philippians chapter 1, I think it's verse 27, Paul talks about the fact that, that the, the church, uh, it's not 27, it's verse 7, Philippians 1, 7. Paul talks about this church being partakers of Paul in prison. Now, I can't prove this definitively, okay? So I'm, I'm realming just a little bit in my own personal theory, and I want to make that very clear. This is not provable in Scripture. But I have a sense that in Acts 16 here, when Paul and Silas were imprisoned, there were other bodies of believers with them that were in prison. Because Paul says in Philippians 1 that you partook in my imprisonment. You, you partook in this. Now that could mean that they supported him, or it could mean that they actually experienced some jail time along with Paul and Silas. 
I tend to think that they did. Now, I, I'm not going to make that a hill I'm dying on, so don't, don't take it that way, okay? But what's amazing here is what you see is, is absolutely astonishing as you continue to read Acts 16, verse 25. And about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. What is happening? What's happening there is they're having a gathering in prison. (laughs) Do you see this? Here they are. They're in a very uncomfortable place, not pleasant at all by any standards of human conditions. And here they are. They're with some believers, two or three, maybe more. And they're gathering and they're singing praises to God. They're joyful. They're joyful in their unity of believers, right? They're together, they're singing their praises to God. I love this. This is such a true facet of church that we have got to grasp. Doesn't matter if it's at a riverside. Doesn't matter if it's in a, a Lydia's home. Doesn't matter if it's in prison being shackled. They have the mind of Christ. They have the heart of worship. And they are rejoicing in the unity of the body of Christ. As you go on with the story, the jailer is freaked out. As they sing praises, the earth shakes. All the prison doors come open. The shackles come unloose. And the jailer who's responsible for the prison comes out and sees that the doors are all open. And immediately he recognizes he's in hot water. And his first reaction is, I'm going to kill myself. A place of absolute desperation. Because he knows he's dead either way. Because the Roman government would not have allowed him to walk away unscathed, if you will. And what is Paul's response? I love this. If you go down to verse 28. But Paul cries out with a loud voice. Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. We're all here. Nobody's left the prison. We're here. We're willing. Now, I'm a human. I think like a rational human, I think, most of the times. Maybe not always. But if the chains come off of me in a prison place like that and the doors start opening, my rational mind's going to be like, it's time to jet. See ya. <laughs> right? I mean, that's just the natural reaction. Paul in this story, in this account of what took place, chooses to remain in a difficult place, in a hard place. And what we see transpiring in this account is the testimony of what happens to this Philippian jailer. He says, man, these people are different. Why on earth? What is going on? Who who and what is the reason you are here? They weren't there for murder. They weren't there for theft. They were there because they were proclaiming the name of Jesus. And what you see is this man who otherwise would have never known Jesus sees some Christians that are doing some extraordinary things. They have the mind of Christ. They have the heart of worship. And they have a unity as brothers that is beyond anything else. I want to show you this real quick in Philippians, verse 14, chapter 2. Paul says this, Do all things without grumbling. And disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent 
children of God, without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. Listen to what he says in these last few words. It's so powerful. I am glad and I rejoice with you. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. What is Paul saying? Despite difficulties, despite hardships, despite sufferings, and listen, I'm not in any way trying to diminish what people walk through. But when we gather together as saints, we have something to be joyful about, do we not? We have something that we can be excited about, do we not? And I'm not trying to diminish the hardships. That's why God gave us gatherings. Other people to what? Encourage us, to comfort us. This is what we're called to do as believers in Christ. We recognize the mind of Christ. And when we gather together, we have that mind of Christ where we put others more significant than ourselves. When we gather together, we think of the heart of worship where we are making Jesus the number one priority above anything and everything else. Jesus is our main priority. So we act it out in our life. We live it out in our action towards others in the, in the body, in the community, in our families. We show the love of Jesus. This is the heart of worship because he's the most important. But we also, we also rejoice. We also rejoice in the unity of the body that we all get to come together. And we all get to worship a mighty God who deserves, and as the song, who's worthy of our praise, who's worthy of our song. So powerful. So my question, are we gathering together with this kind of unity and joy for one another? Are we eager to rejoice in being together? Are we eager to get, to get together and be excited for being together? Or is it more like a chore sometimes? And I get it. Sometimes life is busy and life is hectic, and I understand that. But is our heart excited to be together with other believers? Do we rejoice in this? Are we eager to rejoice in what God is doing here in Davison? Do you get excited telling, man, you're not going to believe what God's doing in this small church? God's doing some amazing things here, and I know he's doing amazing things here. I hear it from Pastor Justin. Hey, he's doing amazing things in Wald Lake. He's doing awesome things in Goodrich and in Flushing. Listen, we're all part of the same body of Christ, and we can rejoice in what God is doing. It's good. And when we get together, do we have that heart of joy in being together? Are we looking for things to, as Paul warns, are we looking for things to grumble and complain about? Are we looking for the things we see God doing through us individually and rejoicing about them? Sharing them. Hey, man, you're not going to believe what God did for me this week. I want to tell you, my brother and my sister, man, this is what God did in my life this week. It's incredible. And we share 
the awesome presence of God in our life. Maybe it's nothing you think is a big deal, but man, when you share it, somebody else may be going through a struggle or a hardship that they need to hear what God's done in your life. And that will encourage them and comfort them. And that'll bring joy in their hearts and they'll be excited to gather together as brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm going to close. I just want you, church, to be encouraged by the word that Paul has laid out for us. He tells us to have this mind that only is the mind of Christ. And so if you're here today, you're like, man, I want to be a part of a group or a community that's like that. Listen, the truth is, Jesus told us in his, in his words when he was walking on this earth, I am the only way to the Father. No one comes to the Father but by me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is affirming many times over that, listen, you want this kind of community. It only comes by having the mind of Christ where you are willing to submit and say, Lord, you're in charge. I'm not. I'm, I'm ready to do whatever you have for me. And maybe you're here today and you've never called out on the name of the Lord. I want to give you this opportunity. God loves you. God cares about you. He desires you. As we read in, as we read in Philippians chapter 3, and Paul said these words, not only is it that I know Jesus, but Jesus knows me. Jesus wants to know you. And it's simple. You call out and say, Jesus, there's no magic prayer. It's not a magic potion. It's just being real. It's just being genuine and it's being authentic. Saying, God, man, I want to know who you are and I want you to know who I am. I need you. Calling out to him. Calling out to him is the answer for everything in life. He is the most important thing. And Paul talks about this, that he was more valuable than anything else Paul could have earthly obtained. The most valuable thing is to be known and know Jesus. So if you don't know Jesus, I want to give you that chance. It's not anything complicated. You can do it right in your heart with Jesus where you sit and say, God, I need you. Jesus, will you please save me? And to the church, it's just an encouraging message to hear. Listen, we're, we're to have the mind of Christ. Maybe we, we have grumbled, or maybe we have complained, or maybe we've allowed other things to become more important. We have forgotten the mind of Christ, where he humbled himself, and be obedient to the Father, where he was even willing to die on the cross for me and for you. We need to be reminded of that. I need to be reminded of that. Do we have the heart of worship when we gather, when we make him our number one priority? And do we get together? Sometimes Christians have this reputation of being glummy and sad all the time. Listen, we have a lot to be joyful over, don't we? Do we not? I love, I've met only a few of you before. I love that I can come here and have an extremely awesome time praising Jesus together with many of you who I've only met maybe once or twice before. We can rejoice in the fact that we have an amazing, awesome Savior. We're connected. Listen, whether you like it or not, I'm going to be in heaven with you. <laughs> That's a fact. And you're going to be in heaven with me. And we're going to get to sing the praises of Jesus over and over again. Sing his wonders and his awesomeness, the things that he's done in our life, the way he's changed us. Listen, I used to live one way. I was thinking about stories I could share about when I lived in Davison, but most of them were, uh, uh, I don't even know if I should say it. I almost got arrested in Davison. 
I was one way, but then the Lord took my life and he changed it and he made it another way, right? It's good news. And we have that to share. So let's rejoice in that.